an old song written by Virgil Brock, if my memory serves me right. Him and his wife were at uh, the Winona Lake Camp and Conference Ground down in Indiana, and they were sitting one night alongside the lake watching the sunset go down, and they were thinking about how good God had been to him in ministry, and so he composed that song, him and his wife down there. It's a precious song. I'm going to ask you to turn tonight to Titus chapter 2. Uh, I don't intend to be long this evening. I think we just get down to work. We'll look at what God's Word has to say and hope it'll be a blessing to you. Last, last Sunday night, we were over in 1 Timothy, and we were studying there in chapter 5 as part of our supplementary study of Titus chapter 2. And we come to similar words tonight that Paul used when he wrote to Timothy in uh, this passage beginning with verse 4. He says, You teach the younger women to be sober, to love their husbands, to love their children, to be discreet, chaste, keepers at home, good, obedient to their husbands, that the word of God be not blasphemed. And of course, when we read something like that, uh, even in our own church, we need to remember that there's a movement out there that rises out of uh, an opposition to what the scripture has to say, because basically... It comes from people who don't want to submit to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. Uh, fallen, fresh, fallen flesh of unredeemed flesh rebels against the word of God. He's saying, it's understanding this, that, you know, a woman wants to rebel against the oversight of her husband. You remember in the book of Genesis, when you have Eve leading the world into sin and uh, her husband following her, uh, God had said, your desire is going to be to your husband. Now, that doesn't mean that you're going to have the desire to love your husband. The idea is there, you're going you're to love and you're going to strive to have the lordship over your husband. And a woman has to struggle with that in her life, all right? She wants to express herself. She wants to run independent of the plan and purposes of God. But could I say that to you and me as men and women, all of us have that tendency to not want to do what God says. <clears throat> but it's aggravated in the culture that we live in because in this day and age, more than ever, women are working outside of the home. And I'm not going to address that problem as such. I, I know that you understand that we live in a different era and a different time. But you understand this, the principles of God are basically the same. It might be the circumstances that are different. The times are a little bit different, but God does not change. There's a purpose and a design of God in the word of God for our, our role as men and women's role as women in and outside of the home. So I want you to look tonight and think with me about what Paul says about the ingredients of the role of a woman. You read in verse four, said you teach the younger women. Uh, the idea is you, you want to encourage the young women. You want to train them in this matter of self-control in relationship to the love of their husbands. Now, give you a good word here tonight. When Paul tells them to love their husbands, that's one word, and it's philandros, P-H-I-L-A-N-D-R-O-S. And philandros simply means, simply means to be a husband lover. A husband lover. That's a husband loving of your own husband, not somebody else's husband. Amen. Women ought to love their husband. You have be affectionate as a housewife. 
to be, you know, we speak of men as being a one woman man. And every woman would appreciate having a one woman man. But a man appreciates it when he has a one woman. She has a one woman wife. A one, I'm sorry, when the woman is a one man wife. Gotcha. Am I saying that right? Not coming yeah. out. All right. We love our women. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Uh, for instance, in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 25, uh, Paul says, Husbands, you love your wives as Christ loved the church. Now, that's, that's a, that can be a barn burner there because you stop thinking about that. How in the world did Jesus Christ love the church? Well, you stop to think about it. Jesus loved the church when the church was not lovely. He loved, he loved us when we were yet sinful. Uh, he loved us when we weren't worthy of love. Uh, he loves us sacrificially. He loved us protectingly. And that's how husbands are to love their wives. And could I say, and likewise, that is the way the wife is to love the husband. The wife is to be her husband's lover. You love your husband. I've had women say, well, I don't, you don't know my husband. Uh, one person said, I don't love my husband. Said, my husband's not lovable. He was when we first got married, but he's not lovable now. Uh, they say, use terms like, you know, I hate, don't, hate to use the term, but they say, you know, my husband turned me off. What do you mean turn you off? Uh, you know, well, somebody will say, well, I don't love him anymore. I don't care for him anymore. Could I say this and listen very carefully? That is disobedience on your part as a woman. If a husband says, I don't love her anymore, that is disobedient on his part as a husband. Because God says we're to love one another. Wives are to love their husbands. Husbands are to love their wives. You, know, you, got, you had an attraction as to why you wanted to get married. You know, I think young people need to understand... Married relationship is not only not always you know uh, fireworks and and tantalizing feelings and 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 emotions and bells. You know they say that basically after two years of married life, uh, you don't get many rockets. The bells don't ring as much, and uh, it happens about two years. You know, you, 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 you enjoy your initial two years together and then you begin to, to realize, you know, it's not all that. It's a matter of getting your nose down to the grindstone and loving each other. If you're a husband, you love your wife. If you're a wife, you love your husband. That doesn't mean you're going to be excited. It doesn't mean that you're going to hear, help, uh, hear bells and whistles. Marriage isn't all thrills, chills, and rockets and bells and whistles. It's, it's a contented commitment with an occasional rocket, right. with occasional bell, a whistle now and then. And I don't mean some guy whistling at you, but, you know, I'm talking about your relationship with your husband and your husband and your husband with you. You see, what it boils down to, there has to be a devotedness to the level of a friendship that runs very deep and it's satisfying. Our first year of marriage was an exciting year. Quite frankly, we didn't see each and all of each other because I was in school full time. And when I was home and not studying, I was working elsewhere. Uh, 
Vicki was working several jobs, so finally she got out of Donaldson Air Force Base. And so I would see her in the morning sometimes, but other than that, I didn't see her till evening time. And uh, we didn't we weren't able to spend a lot of time together. When I graduated, we moved back to Michigan. Uh, I was looking for work, so I worked as a substitute teacher, and I took on the role of being a pastor. And we lived out in Sumter, and she was working to try to make help 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 meet needs help the the needs be met. Uh, it's hard to live on a hundred dollars a week, but we were trying to do it, and it's hard to do. But nonetheless, Paul says, uh, "You love your husband." And young women need to be trained to do that. They need to be trained to do that. And the way you train yourself is this. You continue to serve. You serve. You do every good thing, every kind thing, every gracious thing, every magnanimous thing that you can do. And by the way, husband, you do the same thing. You do the same thing. You'll come to the place where you will think this way. You know, I've made a massive investment in her life. Or I've made as a wife and a tremendous uh, investment in him. And I've got too much in this person not to love this person. It's a sin to disobey God when God says husbands love your wives and wives need to, lead, need to love their husbands. Marriage is a sacrificial love. It's not necessarily the love of emotion. Emotion is just a small part of that. There needs to be a deep-seated commitment to do the will of God. That's where the healthy relationship starts and ought to exist. I remember Dr. Walter Fremont telling us one time in a marriage seminar that we had at Faithway Baptist Church that the husband ought to come home from work and let his wife have a honey sandwich. You say, what is that? What did Dr. Fremont mean? He meant that when you came home from work... Your wife has been home or she gets home from work. You let her talk. You find out what was going on through the day. And you sit there and listen to it. And you listen to it. And you know what? You listen to it. If a husband will not listen to his wife, the wife will find somewhere else to talk. As a basic rule of thumb, now, I don't know that I've ever mentioned this from the pulpit. I have determined to let my wife have her peace with me. I may not like it. I may not enjoy it. But I need to be a sounding board for my wife. Men, you need to let your wife talk to you and you need to talk to your wife. Because if you don't, they'll find somebody else to talk to. And you don't want to have that happen. I think my children will give testimony to the fact that my wife will talk. And by the way, she talks. She's a, she's a woman. She knows how to talk. But I want to be her sounding board, okay? That's for a healthy relationship in a family. It's the kind of love that Paul talks about when Paul wrote to the, to the Philippians and said, if there be any love, any virtue, and so forth, do this and that. He said, let no man look on the things of others. But let each esteem others better than himself. When you love, it's a sacrificial, humbling, condescending, self-effacing kind of love. That's the first thing. You teach the younger woman. The older women, that's what you teach the younger woman. 
The second thing he says is this. You teach the younger women to love their children. Now that's another, that's another single word. It's a compound word. And it's philotechnos. Taking the word philos, which means to be loved. And technos, which means children. Uh, you teach the younger women to be children lovers. Now if you're in a relationship for any length of time... And things being normal, you're going to have children born into the family. And uh, the high calling of God is for women to be children lovers. Because you need to be able to raise, to raise godly children according to 1 Timothy chapter 2 verse 15. Why is that so important? Because basically there is a stigma attached to women... Because it was women who led the human race into sin. If you go back and study the book of Genesis. But when a woman bears and raises godly children. It minimizes the stigma that God said would be there. You'll be preserved from the stigma when you read it. We're a godly generation. That's a high calling of woman. To raise godly children. That's the greatest contribution that comes to... Because of motherhood. Now that's generally true. Now, I was thinking about that this week. Back a good number of years ago at another church, I preached a series of messages on singleness because I felt at that time there was a great stigma being in the church about having single women and single men. And people hounding them. Why aren't you married? Why don't you have a wife? Why don't you have a husband? I gave several reasons why people are single. One reason is that God wants single people. But whether they're men or women, that's the purpose and the design of God. That is not the general, general teaching. The general teaching is that a husband is to have his own wife. And the wife is to have her own husband. But not everybody... Is going to be married. God gives. According to 1 Corinthians chapter 7. God gives some women. The ability to be single. And they'll be contented being single. The rest of their life. If that's the plan of God. They're, 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 they accept the role of God. In their life. On the fact that they're not married. And men can do the same thing. They're, I think of my brother who has loved the Lord for so long. He was saved before I was saved. He thought that one day he might be married. And it almost happened one time. But basically he's been content to be single. Because being single he doesn't have a wife to care for. Doesn't have children to care for. Doesn't have a family to provide for. And all of that. And he can devote himself and what he does to serving the Lord. Now I understand that. That God will will plan that some people will be single. Understand that there's a, a massive amount of freedom that comes if a man is not married and didn't have children. Now, obviously, God didn't make me that way. I have two children, and I praise God for them. Some, uh, some women are designed by God to be single for the, for the kingdom's sake. There are some women who are, who are unable to have children for basically... For the kingdom's sake because of God's purposes. There, there are, are some women that can't have children because their husbands are not able to produce children. And therefore their wives are never going to have any children. God knows that. We don't have to stigmatize single people. 
or barren people. We don't have to do that. We understand that God in his providence is working out his will in the lives of individual men and women. But I say that because there are exceptions to the plan of God. The general rule is that women bear children and love the children that they bear. In ancient times, this would go even for those women who were not bearing children. They could adopt children. They could go out in the marketplace and, and take a child and adopt the children into the family. God obviously doesn't want all women to be mothers, or they would be. God has designed some women to have a uniqueness of signalness, and others not to have children for his own purpose. And we can thank God for what single women mean to the kingdom of God. We can thank God for what women, uh, what women who have no children mean to the kingdom of God, because God has given them a unique opportunity to serve in a unique way. But generally speaking, women are mothers. And they're to be bearing children. And in bearing children, they have the responsibility to love those children. Now that means they're to sacrifice themselves on behalf of their children. Again, that love, you know very well, women, just simply cannot be an emotion. It's not standing over in a corner when your little girl gets all dressed up in fine clothes or your boy looks smartly dressed and you step back and you say my how handsome he is or how beautiful she is it's this you look at your daughter and you look at your son and you've said you know i've poured myself sacrificially into that little life so that child can grow up to love the lord jesus christ but the thing that amazes me that paul says this the younger women need to be taught that. In verse 5, he says they need to be taught to be discreet. And we looked at that word last week. That word is that Greek word sophron. And it means to have sound judgment, or we would say common sense. Very basic. Right thinking about right priorities. Older women are to come along and teach the young woman the common sense stuff of life. Just like the... No, understand, listen, these are the priorities, and you need to understand the priorities in your right thinking, making sound judgment, being able to apply wisdom. So, you know, many, many young women, they, they don't understand that. I think Vicki and I do. Uh, I've lived, we've lived together long enough. I've lived with her longer than I lived with my mom and dad, and she's lived with me longer when she lived with her mom and dad now. But we were, rose, we were both raised in families where there was a biblical pattern that was taught and followed and modeled for us in the home. My mother never worked outside of the home. Her mother did. Uh, she has a brother. But they had a mother and a dad that loved and provided for the family. They didn't know divorce in their family. And quite frankly, our family did not know divorce until my next younger brother had a divorce in his family. Other than that, uh, my parents came from a divorce background, at least my mother did. But in our home, we didn't know that. That is, we didn't see divorce as far as the present family. You see, there's something that's built into the fabric of a home that comes, becomes reproductive in the next generation. If there, is a, if there is divorce in the home, 
the likelihood is that there's going to be divorce in the next generation. And if there is divorce in that generation, there'll probably be divorce in the next generation. And you know, it'll be several generations trying to undo uh, the harm that has been caused by the influence of divorce in a family. It'll take several generations to do that. Most people don't come from Christian families. Perhaps uh, they, they, they were married or single and they had children, but there was trouble in the home and they weren't Christian people. And that's why when you read the Old Testament, you find out that the Bible tells us that where you have wickedness in the family, it takes three or four generations to turn a family around. It's not easy. Marriage is not easy. You know what marriage is? It is work. It is committedness. And we're living in a society right now where it is desperately needed that some women come along and teach the younger generation how to think. What is a common sense parenting? And that's why a whole parenting process should be preached in the churches because we have to fill the gap here with a second generation of women who are exposed to a feminist agenda that are coming out of broken homes, devastated marriages, and some of them have been divorced. Some of them have stayed together, but even if they've stayed together, it's been equally devastating. And so Paul says, you have the, the older women teach the younger women to do what? To be pure. Again, now that word, that's a, let me share, that word is hagnos, H-A-J-N-O-S, H-A-G-N-O-S in the Greek. And, you know, you think, well, this person's an old hag. You've got a wrong idea of what hagnos means. Hagnos means chaste. It means morally pure, virtuous, sexually faithful to their husbands. Teach them that they're to be voted to one man, and that's it, morally pure. When Peter addresses the subject, he says in 1 Peter chapter 3 and verse 3 that women are not to put the emphasis upon the, just the externals. Now, there has to be some work on the outside. Sure it does. A, a woman that doesn't take care of herself is not a credit to her husband, let alone herself. I don't refer to Women as barns, but barn looks good and has got paint on it. You know, hair's taken care of, dresses are clean. You know, you a little work here, a little work there. But basically, he says, you know, don't worry about the braiding of your hair and the wearing of gold jewelry. You know, what you need to be concerned about is the hidden person of the heart. But with a quality of a gentle and a quiet spirit. And that's precious in the sight of God. And then Peter says that's the way it was in old times. Holy women. You know, the women, they adored themselves. Now, I scratch my head on that one. I, I, I look at how Middle Eastern women dressed in Bible days. Long robes. Heads covered, faces shielded. What is there a man to think about? There's not much to look at. But you see, it's not the purpose of a man to entice a, a woman to entice a man. But what Peter is saying and what Paul is saying, that there needs to be an adorning of the heart. There has to be a virtuous and godly woman on the inside. 
Back in 1 Timothy chapter 2, verses 9 and 10, it's the same thing there. Women are not to adorn themselves in any way that would call attention to themselves, but they're to put on modest clothing, discreetly. Not with the braiding of hair, gold and pearls and costly garments, but rather the means of good works and that befits a woman and that makes a claim to, claim to godliness. So if you're going to claim godliness and virtue and holiness and purity, it ought to show up on the outside. Two words that Paul uses in 1 Timothy chapter 2, we talked about that last week, were chaste in the street. Very interesting word. Chaste, chaste C-H-A-S-T-E, just simply means with a sense of shame. It's like having a healthy blush. Not that you're ashamed that you're a woman, but a shame that you might cause somebody to be distracted from worshiping God because you're not period in public the way you ought to appear. Or a shame that you might cause somebody to look at you and lust after you. Men, that's a problem with you too. You don't need to look like you're advertising for an extramarital affair. And women, the same thing is true. You think of it. A godly woman would not think of inciting lust or distracting somebody from worshiping God. And of course, the idea of discreet comes from the same Greek word sophro, and it means controlling your passions. Women who make a claim to godliness have their passions under control. They're not going to do things to excite lust. They want to do things to draw attention to themselves when God's people come together for worship. Holy women have always conducted themselves that way. And so Paul says, older women, you teach the younger women to be pure like that. And then here's the thing that causes the biggest disruption today. Paul says, you younger, you older women, teach the younger women to be keepers at home. Now this is where the heat comes from these days. Because frankly, women are not interested in working in the home if they can help it these days. They estimate that 90% of women between age 16 and 65 work outside of the home. That has a definite impact upon male unemployment, according to Robert Harris, the Harris polls. Listen, if that's the case, if 90% of the women between 16 and 65 are not home, where are they? In fact, you might have said, well, who in the world's home? Well, the contemporary movement is, women, you don't need to stay home. Why? Because Satan sells the system that way. The system says, women, you don't need, you don't need to take care of house. Listen, that's anti-God, that's anti-Christ, that's anti-biblical. And it devastates the testimony of the church. Workers at home is one word. It comes from two work words, two words. One word is ergon, which means work, and oikos, which means house. It just simply means that a house, a home, is a sphere of a woman's influence. Not the only sphere, but it's basically the basic sphere of her influence. It doesn't mean that she has to spend 24 hours a day in that house and can never leave. In fact, I don't think you want to lock up a woman in a home if she's got a TV set and video machine and so forth because she's spent her time watching things she don't need to watch. 
But nonetheless, the Bible teaches that the home is the woman's domain. Husbands, you work outside of the home. You know, you ought to let your wife have her own nest. And let her have her nest the way she wants to have her nest. Don't mess around with her nest. If there's outside needs to be taken care of, you help take care of it. But you understand your wife's greatest influence is in the home. It's not just simply that she is to be at home, but the home is her sphere. I was reading this morning again, Proverbs chapter 31. You read about that virtuous woman, you find out that she took time to leave the home and go purchase a field. She purchased the field. It doesn't say she sat down and had a discussion with her husband about this and that. Her husband had to go out and provide for the family, but she had the opportunity to go buy a field. And so she did, and she got that field, and she prepared that field. She went and she left home and she bought this and she bought that and provided to, and she bought things that would help the family. But again, the focus of Proverbs 31 is that here is a woman who is a virtuous woman and she was taking care of the house. She got up early. She went to bed late for the sake of the home. She's to be a home keeper. The home, the home is the woman's sphere. It's a sphere of a responsibility, and that's where there needs to be an emphasis in the lives of godly wives. You know, basically, I think part of the problem comes with husbands and wives these days is that husbands fail to understand that their primary role is to be a provider for their husbands, or a provider for their wives, excuse me. Ephesians 5 makes that very clear. You go out, you work hard, you provide. Now, admittedly, today, there are so many wonderful things that make, make uh, womanhood and living in a house so much more easier today. I think about how my dear mother uh, worked any number of years doing certain... I remember one time she had one of these rolling iron machines, iron machines that you could put sheets into and it would iron the sheets. My dad made sure that he did what he could to provide for her, to help her job as a as a as a wife in taking care of the home. You know, women today are not cooking out on some stone pot, beating out grain and making flour. They're not down at the creeks, slapping their clothes upon rocks. We all know that. Women aren't sitting at home, spitting thread out of wool in order to make garments. No, they go out and they're able to buy. They're able to purchase by what the husband provides. Women have more time. But quite frankly, you need to be careful about how you use your time. A husband needs to be careful how he uses his time. You have, a woman has more time to get out and do other things that will assist the home. The home is the wife's sphere. Proverbs 31 tells us about that. That woman goes out and she provides a little bit of income for the family. But the home remains the constant, ongoing priority. Everything focuses on that. You say, well, what happens when the children are grown and the children are gone? Or if God doesn't give you children, well, then there's a certain amount of freedom. And even then, in what you choose to do outside of the home, you don't lose your responsibility to your husband 
to love and to care for him. And he ought to love and care for you as well. You may be, you may be able to care for your home because you have no children. Still do things outside the home. Your, your home may be a haven for your husband. Every woman, every man who's ever worked out in the workforce loves the idea, I've got a wife to go home to. Women, unless you've been out there in the mills, you don't know what your husbands have to put up with. The noise, the opportunity for lust. But what a joy it is to come to a home where there's love and harmony. Not that, not that you never struggle in your relationship not that you don't have or have hard hard feelings or hurt feelings but you learn every once in a while you're going to hear some whistles and you're going to hear uh, some wonderful things but basically it's buckled down and you love each other there's something about the sphere of a woman it's wonderful to see Women teach younger children at school. Women get involved in missionary enterprises, ministering in jails to people, or they work in a hospital or with doctors and those who help people. And what I'm saying are just in generalities. I would say this, that if you do any work outside of the home, you need to be careful that you don't get yourself into a position where you as a woman are tempted. Many of you women will go out and you have male bosses and you're a married woman. You gotta remember that basically the working world out there is made up of unregenerate men. And there is that possible possibility that you're gonna be tempted Statistics are very clear that women who work outside of the Rome have an exponential number of extramarital affairs compared with women who are at home because they're in a place where they are exposed to temptation. Women, you pray for your husbands. You pray for them because there are men out there who speak with their hands and speak with their fingers. You read about that in the book of Proverbs talks about a strange man i mean you 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 think proverbs is just about strange women it talks about strange men as well and they're out there they want your husband because they're strange women who want them women you pray for your husbands i think my woman my wife my woman my wife prays for me (laughs) she's not mine i belong to her and she belongs to me but together we both belong to god I think she prays for me when I'm away from the house. It's not only where you're going, how long you're going to be, and when you're coming home. I think she's concerned about me. You say, yeah, I'd be concerned too if I, if I knew how you drove. Well, I, I try to be careful, but she prays. And I pray for her too. Love is work, but love is rewarding. Got to make wise choices in terms of whatever freedom you have. Because even if your children are are grown, you have an influence on that that child that you've raised. You care for home. 
God has given you conveniences to take care of the home. And you have to choose whether or not you're going to use your gifts and your talents. But you've got to do it wisely. So that men and women, you don't compromise yourself in any way. I'm saying it again. Men and women, don't compromise yourself in any way. By the way you dress, the way you conduct yourself, whether you're a man or a woman. You belong to each other as a husband and wife. And women, wives, you understand, don't you, that there's somebody out there that wants your husband. And men, there's somebody out there that would want your wife. We don't want that to happen. God doesn't want it to happen. Women need to be discreet. They need to be chaste. They need to be lovers of their husbands. And husbands need to be lovers of their wives. And both men and women said, Amen. Amen. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you as we often do at the conclusion of a service that we've had the opportunity to try to speak uh, regarding the truth of your word. We can't address, and we ought not to try to address all the nuances that might come from a message like this. Suffice it to say, we understand the role of a man in a wife's life and the role of a woman in her husband's wife and together their influence in the home. Some of us tonight can rejoice that we've had moms and dads who have not known divorce. There's not been that infidelity that is so common and even amongst Christian people today. Husbands who say they don't love their wives and wives that say they don't love their husband and they say that in disobedience to the word of God because they profess to be Christians. They just don't want to work at it. And since they don't want to do it, they stand in rebellion against the divine word of God. Pray that the peace of God might rule in the homes where you're loved, where your word is taught. We pray that the women of our church might have children who rise up and call their mothers blessed. Sons would rise up and daughters would rise up and say, praise God for dad. We love him. We appreciate him. And pray that the next generation to come might understand the importance of being the right kind of a man and the right type of a woman to stem the tide of sin in the age yet to come <coughs> should Jesus not come. It's important that we do what we can to produce godly children and godly men and godly women. Pray that people would come to say tonight, God, I thank you for the home that I have. I thank you for the wife I have the husband that I have. Help me to understand the importance of the sphere of the home. Help me to furnish the house with love. It might be a place of refuge for the husband. The wife might, the husband might learn that he's got to be the chief provider, the chief protector. Even though we look to God, our maker, for care, a wife ought to be able to look to her husband for that care and that protection. 
God, give us godly families. Bless those men and women who tonight say, by God's grace, I'm going to love the way I need to love and do it for the cause of the kingdom and to the honor of our Lord Jesus Christ and our Heavenly Father. Bless now as we come to conclude. We give the altar call. Whether people come to the altar or not, they do business with you tonight in their hearts and pray that you might bless. In Jesus' name we ask it. Amen and amen.